Welcome back, listeners, to the Listen In podcast with Jake and Sean. Jake, we're going to talk about Phoebe Bridgers, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, and other new releases soon. But first, I want to talk to you about this Kanye West news that dropped today, this Kanye West Forbes interview. Yeah, Um, I'm reading the highlights that you put in the agenda here. And then so I have intentionally not read this because I, I wanted to, to be dropped upon me during the podcast. It seems crazy. This, this was a wild ride. And it's a wild ride among multiple parallel wild rides happening at the same time in our world right now. We have a global pandemic. We're in an election year. We have mass protests. We have all of these things. And Kanye West Forbes interview is up there with all of them, I would say. This I don't even know where to begin. Let me, let me give you some highlights, though. Let me give the listeners some highlights if they haven't been able to hear. Okay. So Kanye West, he, uh, used, he, he announced that he's running for president. We knew this already. He tweeted it out last week. Um, he used this Forbes article as kind of his platform for uh, like officially announcing it, which I find hilarious. So he, he announces his run, not as, part of, not as a Republican, not as a Democrat. He affiliates with as a human the being. birthday, the birthday party. <laughs> oh, I didn't even see that coming. <laughs> He's like, wow. I'm part of the birthday party. I wasn't aware that the birthday party was an official uh, political party well, that you could be a part of. Despite the ills of, a, of the two-party system, as rampant as they are and as many as there are, I don't know that the birthday party is a solution, necessarily. I'm I, don't, doing, I don't think so either. I'm doing my, my best David Schumacher, Shoemaker yes. from, from the press box. You know what I mean? Where he's, it's, it's sort of just like this, I, uh, you know, I've seen it all and I'm going to have a quippy little, yeah. little thing about this. I love it. Um, you know, he, he also put out a new single uh, a week or two ago, Jake, called Wash Us in the Blood. It was featuring Travis Scott um, from his new album that is allegedly called God's Country. Now, now kind of, a, you know, God's Country. Sure, we, that's, a, that's a phrase people use. Um, kind of continuing with the, the Jesus is King, Jesus is born, like all this stuff. Um, you, it's a little bit darker than, than just, hey, I'm really into religion. I'm in my religious phase right now. Um, Which was the extent was, of the depth of, of, of the previous religious album he came out with. Not, what was the one yeah. that, not Jesus is King. What was the one that, was that the one that we listened to? Yes. Because he came out with another yeah. like gospel it, album too. And I never even listened to it. it, it oh, it, so it was Jesus is King and then Jesus is Born, which would, <laughs> was like, recreations at the Sunday service of the shitty Jesus is King songs. Shitty is, is harsh. I guess it's not terrible, but like, it's not great. So he said in this interview, he's like, I don't support Trump anymore, but, but Trump is the closest we've got to allowing God to be part of the political conversation now. Um, which is true. If you are only talking about God in the most cynical and um, like bad faith way that you're only using God to get you votes from people who believe in God. Like, yeah, he's, he's bringing God into the conversation. Sure. Yeah. Um, he said he's the closest we've gotten, but he no longer supports him, which is good. 
Um, he also said he had COVID in February and that he had chills. He was watching videos on how to not have it anymore. He said that like Drake had it too and that people were saying Drake was sicker than him. And he was laughing in this interview. He's like, Drake can't be sicker than me. <laughs> like, what, what, dude? This, okay. And by this time in the, in the Forbes piece, in the, in the interview, I was like, wow, this is very Trumpy in the way that he talks. The way that he's always kind of bringing up like, oh, this, this person over here says that like, I don't know about that. Or like, haha, yes. they don't like me. So narcissistic. Also, he's clearly like paranoid about Drake because Drake does like much bigger sales numbers than he does now. There's the rumor that Drake, like that sicko mode was kind of about him and Kim. So right. he's in his head and like he's fixated on Drake. He brings them up. He's like, you know, people said Drake was sicker than me. Like what, dude? That's not all though. He says the only cure for COVID, Jake, is prayer. Prayer. That's good to know. We need we need to stop making God angry, he says. Well, well, in that case, the political status quo is just fine then, because there's plenty of thoughts and prayers. We're good. Actually. We're inundated with them. Yeah, so that he shouldn't need to run. More alarmingly, um, he came out as anti-vax. Yeah. Um, he called it the mark of the beast. And what did he mean he by thinks, that? Your guess is as good as mine. I think, I think he means like the devil. Like it's it's the devil's work. Um, like that's that's right. not being close with God. Like I think that's what he means. Um, okay. He thinks we're all going to be microchipped. Um, by getting vaccinated, theory, by the way, a debunked yeah. theory. He he buys hook, line, and sinker, and he thinks he's some fucking visionary for believing it. Um, yeah. He also thinks white supremacists are behind Planned Parenthood. Um, he would be alarmed to find out that the white supremacists want to do away with Planned Parenthood in a lot of cases. So that was the wide-ranging interview he gave. There's some other nuggets in there if you do get the chance, but I don't know. It, it was a roller coaster ride. I am – I mean, it's, it's like one of these things where it's like, yeah, of course he gave a crazy fucking interview. Of course he believes all this stuff. Am I surprised? No. Is it upsetting, and is it really kind of putting the cherry on top of the Kanye fall from grace? Yes. What are your thoughts on this, Jake? Well, first of all, it's an absolutely wild platform. Just an absolutely, <laughs> you know, like the, these aren't so so much p political platforms or policies that he's running on. It's just like a screed of insane Dude. ramblings. Um, it, it is, he said, yeah. one of the other nugget, he's like, I'm going to run my White House like the kingdom of Wakanda. And like, the White House is going to look like their technology center. He's like, you know where the boots wrap up around? He's like, that's what the White House, my White House will look like. Dude. Like, what? Honestly, the road to ruin upon which this country is traveling, the, that's a real, like, a, a not so unrealistic next step. Because it's like, he's, he's another, and like, look, I love, in, true, in a true sense, in an honest sense, love, some of Kanye West's music. Some of his albums are some of my favorites of all time. Some of his songs are some of my favorites of all time. He'd be ruinous for the country if he were made president. It would be a trap. It would be a, a, a terrible misstep. It honestly, 
might be worse than the situation we're in now only because Trump is so incompetent that like he's only been able to cause this much damage. Kanye would like he thinks he's a fucking genius. I mean Trump does too, but Kanye in yeah. a different way where he's like we can do anything. And it's like I think he could get us into some sticky spots with that attitude. The, in the Trump, si- Trump's just a grifter. He just wants to like skim and like well, you know make people think he's a genius but like Kanye's like no we'll do some shit we'll turn this into Wakanda like what well but the truth of of Kanye and Trump is that they they a similarity they share is they they just have quite literally no self-doubt it doesn't seem like they are not they're guided yeah they're true narcissists um and they're not guided by reality and by the by the Because they, they, they don't know it. They don't know what the average person is like. They don't know what the average no. person's experience is day to day. And it does, it's not material to them. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and him denouncing Trump, and it, it doesn't sound like it was a very convincing denouncement. It sounds like he was just like, I want to be president now instead of him. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know? He mentioned one thing. He's like, you know, when I heard about him going to the bunker, like, that, like dude, that's the thing. That, that you were like, ooh, I don't know about this guy going into the bunker. Like, okay, if that's the straw that broke the camel's back, then sure. There is so much here to unpack. And I know, we've, you know, we've been, we've been talking about Kanye for years now. And we've been talking about this sort of de-evolution of Kanye for years as well. Um, and I, I think it's just rehashing old ground. He's a narcissist. He doesn't understand reality. I think the people he has surrounded himself with have not been good for him. Um, I feel bad for him in a lot of ways, and it's unfortunate that a lot of people, like, buy into a lot of the stuff that he is saying, though. The anti-vax stuff, or, like, some of these crazy conspiracy theories, and it, it scares me, man, honestly. Like, that yeah. shit scares me. Me too, and also, just, it's, it's again, to draw another parallel to Trump, it's a, I, I don't know how many people are, like, coming out as supporting his presidential run, but... I think that if he had a political appeal, it would be very similar to Trump's in that it's just these broad sort of not fully fleshed out or thought through promises or, or like the loose ideologies that, that, that seem attainable on a, on a totally unpragmatic level. And that seem totally appealing to someone who, who doesn't really think about it that much. It's like, yeah, like that's right. Like these are all great, you know, if you're inclined to this, this sort of very narrow way of thinking, that's the thing that I was thinking too, is like his platform has a lot of kind of incongruous, like not necessarily like compatible views. That, that, you know, know what I mean? Like, that, cause I like know. It's, it's, I don't know. It, I don't know what to fucking think about this, dude. It, it, it is, of, of course it's happened though. Of course it has. Look. The the most harmless reading of this is this is a press tour for his new album, Run Amok. And he's picking the absolute worst moment to do this in, in the worst year that he possibly could. And he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. That, I think it's actually much, I wish that's all it were, because it's not. It's deeper and more sinister than that. And I think it says something about America and where we are. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're... Kanye West is representative of our country in a way, weirdly, and I think has been. He's an icon no matter what, good or bad, and he is reflecting our, 
us, all of us now. Well, yeah, and like he and Trump both represent this kind of, it's something you were referencing. It's like this coddled rich person's view of what an every man's platform should be. It's like they have this idea, particularly Trump with this, but Kanye has elements of this where it's like they have this idea of what the average person thinks or should think without realizing how much and to how strong a degree that's been shaped by their wealth. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the privilege to have those kind of beliefs and not have them challenged by anyone and to kind of have like sycophants to follow you around and tell you like, yeah, all, that sounds great. You know, yeah. I, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I fear we're entering an era of, of um, celebrity presidents where it's just going to be easier and easier the way information spread, the way, I mean, Trump's the first one. He's not actually the first. Reagan kind of was the first one, which is all endemic of a a bigger problem, which is the the career politician and the way in which fame factors into politics when it really like shouldn't. Did No. Yeah. It has become a celebrity and popularity contest. It should just be about who is most competent at their job. Our president and our governing body we should we should be like that's boring as fuck we should be following this like it's fucking entertainment we're so addicted to entertainment and constantly being getting that like hit that we've turned this into it now and i i really really hope enough people have wisened up to be like well we need people who are actually competent at governing because that's their job yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if we can turn turn the freighter around. You know, it's like a lot of <laughs> I, I know. Like on. it's been set in motion for a while now. I know. I know. Yeah. I will That's say. I will say in, in in what is almost an unrelated thought to all that. I kind of liked Wash Us in the Blood a little bit. It wasn't bad. And here is the thing about Kanye. Even Jesus is King had some good moments. Oh yeah. Even Yay had some good moments like yep. i wouldn't say those albums were failures no like just it, musically and and if if this trump anti-vax stuff and all these crazy conspiracy theories weren't happening we would have a different view of that music even i think we'd be giving it even more of the benefit of the doubt we'd be like oh he's entered his dylan christian phase like this is so cool like i don't know maybe or maybe we'd still be like eh, kanye's lost his fastball i don't know but this stuff doesn't help. I don't mind the fact that he's having a Christian phase. If anything, that's a little bit endearing. It, it, but the, the the warped way with which he has interpreted Christianity is is oh my god. I, I mean, know. I mean, like, what, what are you supposed to? I mean, are we surprised though? I mean, that's Christianity has been only ever misinterpreted by people. <laughs> that's all. Dude, don't asked. tell him that. Don't tell him that. He'll he'll say that you're responsible for the virus. Well, you're, you're, you're making God angry, Jake. Well, you know what? Then, like, I, I apologize to Kanye West. Here's, here's how I know that he is wrong. Because he has no problem using Forbes and this interview as a platform to spew all this bullshit without once ever thinking, could I be wrong here? He doesn't think that. He is so convinced he is right. You know how I know that I'm the same one? Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not, actually. I read this. And I was like, wait a minute. For two seconds at least, I was like, I disagree with him here. Could I potentially be wrong? Is there any merit to this? And I was like, no, there's not actually. Right. And I moved on. He has never even given it that passing thought where he's like, well, wait a minute. Could I, could I be misinformed? 
he doesn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's troubling, man. It's an, it's yet another upsetting domino that's fallen in 2020. But, but the Kanye West decline in mental health is the saddest thing. It's clear as day. And that's the thing, too, is like that. But that is a scary precedent, too, because we now have a precedent for a leader in the highest office of our nation who clearly has mental decline and mental illness of some kind that shapes the way he views people and our country. I'm talking about Trump. I mean, I know that, that's just a, a fact. Yeah. And like, and it has set this kind of precedent in place where it's like, it reminds me of like Kings from like the, the 15th, 16th yes. centuries where it's yes. like, if you got an insane King, like, Oh, well, like you're just going to have to grin and bear it for, for a half a century. Thank, and we are lucky that it's four year terms, you know, I, we can talk all day long about gerrymandering and voter suppression and the failure that is the electoral college, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the two party system actually as free as we think they are. I get all of that, but the four genius move doing the four term, the four year limit, um, because it's just long enough to cause some damage, but it's maybe not long enough to make it irrevocable. Uh, but we'll see. It also is pr- is proof of the fact that you can challenge the three party system, the two party system. You can challenge it as long as you have money, because right. look at this list, this list of 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 beliefs Kanye has has made his platform, and just consider anybody who's not Kanye West or is not famous saying that they come from the birthday party. And they believe this series of beliefs. This is someone who would be taken seriously by literally no one. It just proves no one. It proves the point even further that to have legitimacy in this country for politics, you need a platform. You need wealth. Yep. It's as an an inherent. It's an inherently classist system, actually. That's a great point, and. Like the birthday party shit or some of the stuff he says is something that would come out of the mouth of that guy, Vermin Supreme, who always runs for president every year. In as satire. And as satire. That's what this all reads like. But it's real. Yeah, I know. Maybe, hey, maybe the joke's on us. Maybe he's like actually playing all of you. Well, like, and, say but for, like, that's giving him way too much credit. Because say, for example, you take average guy, you know, just average dude on the street. Who comes up with, you know, he's like, I'm going to be in the Democratic Whigs party. It's a new party. And here's the platform. And the platform is actually great. All these, it's like, say you agree with all of it. Um, It doesn't matter. He has no platform. And he has no money, no wealth. It's like, it doesn't make a difference. But you can, you can do what it, what essentially is equivalent to like, to satire of its own. And it's given a platform. It is taken seriously to some degree. This made major news. Well, that's part of the problem is we allow this to be news and we allow this to matter because we tell people it matters by our discussions, our clicks, our engagement with it online, our discussion. Like it matters and they post this shit because they know it drives clicks, which it feeds the ad revenue, which is, you know capitalist system like this is what this all causes and we're seeing the like how this kind of plays out and it's the worst version of it it's like of course we got here 
This is what we've been driven to. Um, so of course we're going to reward this behavior. Yeah. Have you heard, and I, I'll keep this quick and we'll get to music in a minute, but I'm fascinated by this. Have you been listening to revisionist history, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, the new season? Not this new season. He, okay. So he does an episode about the idea, this concept of democratic lotteries. And what it means is that anyone who is interested and believes they could perform well in a, an elected office um, puts their name basically in a lottery and it's drawn at random and someone is picked to be not necessarily president, but like say in theory, you tried it. They've been trying it in schools, like school elections. Um, and what they found is that a lot of people who would be good leaders and who have the qualities of someone who really cares about people and cares about making a difference and putting in the legwork and doing the work. A lot of those people never get into, even at a school yep. level, even at the level of a school election, never put themselves out there because of either A, their popularity or B, you know, their own misgivings about the idea of getting up on a stage and speaking in front of people. And we have a, so basically what it shows is we have this system that actually rewards only one aspect of leadership, which is like the amount of prominence you have, the platform you have, and the degree to which you're willing to do the dance and to per yep. be performative. When in fact, wow. what they found through these, these like studies is that a lot of the kids in the schools who do the best at it are the ones who never would have run and who no one would have expected to be good. That makes so much sense. We, I would love it if we did that. That'd be amazing. We, we, the world would probably be a better place. And it's interesting because we base our vote off of things that have absolutely nothing to do with the day-to-day exactly -day business it. of governing. That's a problem. That's exactly it. It's that, is that people's knee-jerk reaction to the idea, the instant reaction is, well, but that's not a democracy because I'm not being given a choice. I'm, I'm not, I don't have a say. And I think that that is very worth exploring and definitely like needs yeah. more unpacking. But the interesting point he made is that what ends up happening is people are not the best judges of what actually makes a good leader nope. in general. Nope, they're not. So anyways, I thought that was interesting. And like, this is maybe a proof of like the, the self-satirizing version of our country we now live in. Maybe it's time for a shakeup of some kind. Uh, yeah, you're, you're telling me. Um, Kanye, maybe Kanye will be the one to do it. Jake, birthday party, 2020. Maybe you like, hey, you you know a lot of birthdays. That's true. Maybe yeah, you're part of the birthday party. It, it would be my party. His is June 8th. Right. For what it, for what it matters. <laughs> uh, trust me, listeners. He did not look that up. Nope. Um, that was a nice little extension of the pre-show. I think the pre-show after show. Yeah. Uh, talking Kanye. Let's dive in here, Jake, with some hot thoughts. We have quite a few to catch up on since our last episode in June. Some heavy um, hitters a pretty, here. Oh, what a collection of names we have. Between Stevie Bridgers, Bob Dylan, like Father John Misty even is, is a few slots down on the bill. This is unbelievable. We even, got, new, here. We even got 70s Neil Young, brand new. I know. We got really lucky with this because I think a lot of releases have gotten either scrapped for 2020 or pushed back to the fall. So it was looking like maybe the spring and early summer was going to be a lighter season for new releases, but that really hasn't been the case. I, I think 
all the ones we're about to talk about are, are good to great in some capacity. Um, I want to start with this Phoebe Bridgers album, Jake, Punisher. Yeah. This was one of our most anticipated of the year. We were both very, very excited for this. Um, I think we knew that Phoebe Bridgers was going to kind of hit, hit another level of her career and another level of popularity. I don't know that I expected it to be as big as it is. Has she sneakily become like a Gen Z slash millennial idol? Yeah, I, I think Phoebe Bridgers has um, certainly gone beyond what I ever anticipated. And it's crazy to think back to when we, we saw Phoebe Bridgers open for Julian Baker at the 3S Art Space yeah. in Portsmouth. Um, and at the time, I'd never heard of her. I don't think anyone there had really. Nope. She, First time I heard of her. She got there and basically played the killer EP on an acoustic guitar. Yep. And I remember being like, honestly, my first take, if I'm being totally honest, I was like, that was fine. But it was like, that's just another kind of depressed songwriter, which I think. And she was even joking about it at the time. She's like, here's another sad song for you. And like, she was, she was charming up there though. And I was, I remember seeing her and being like, this sounds like Julian Baker or like the same kind of vibe. Yep. Um, I, I did, I was like, but I like some of these songs. And I was like, but I think there's something here. I did not expect her to reach the heights that she has reached or so quickly surpass Julian Baker, who if you asked me to bet, I, I would have put all my money on Julian Baker at the time. Do you remember that show felt like kind of like a, like an arrival for Julian Baker in her own right. It and did. Phoebe Bridgers just completely blew that out of the water. What it comes down to, I think, and we've talked about this before, is that she has a seemingly voracious appetite for doing press and for giving interviews and for doing and segments. She's good at it. She's good at it. She's funny, you know, very witty, um, astute. She's great on Twitter. She plays the game really yep. well. And that sounds cynical. Yep. That sounds like I'm being jaded in some way. And it's not really how I mean it. She's just good at doing it. And it's a big part of the whole thing. I think she also knows who to surround herself with and align herself with in an incredibly smart way where she's kind of this, like, she's got this orbit of musicians and collaborators around her where, like, she's the common through line in a lot of ways where, like, she has almost now become the center of gravity. Um, yep. I find that fascinating and she really has become like maybe the biggest indie act of the year like yeah that i think that's fair stretch to say at this point? no no i don't think it is and and she seems like she has um she's a networker man she seems like she really yeah. has an easy time and has a it very is, is natural at I'm going to make an album with Connor Oberst. Like I'm going to make an album with Julian and with Lucy Dacus and we're, it's going to be awesome. And like, I'm going to make a solo record and like, they're going to be on some songs. Connor's going to be on some songs. She did that project with Matt Berninger from the national, you know, all the, all, all three of the women from boy genius ended up collaborating with, um, Haley Williams from Paramore on her solo album this year. Like they, got she's doing all sorts of stuff and and it's not just music either like she is popping up on like i don't know like these twitch streams and like yep. you know she had the playboy article and you know all these things out there kind of just be it's like a blitz of phoebe bridgers and and pe people love her um i really enjoy this album 
Like, I, I like it a lot. I think it is her her best solo output. I still like uh, Boy Genius as the, the best thing that she is, has done and been a part of. Um, I do think this album is, is better than uh, Better Oblivion, uh, though. So with the exception of Boy Genius, I think it's her most consistent work. What I will say, though, is this experience of listening to Punisher in this Phoebe Bridgers album is the first time I have experienced a really specific type of music enjoyment where Phoebe Bridgers is really, really important to a certain age uh, kind of bracket and demographic of people that I think I am just outside of now. I think if this record came out even two years ago, I have a different relationship with it where now I can kind of see from the other side in a way who this album is for and, and what connection people will have. And I'm almost observing it, observing it as this thing that is happening for other people, but I'm enjoying it being out in the world and being that thing for a group of people who isn't me right now. Does that make any sense? It makes total sense. I think what, what you're referring to is something that, especially in the last maybe two years of the podcast, we've become more and more privy to, and maybe always knew was there, but never talked about as much, is that we, we, we know the cycle. We know the music industry cycle. And, and, and that's to take a single thing away from Phoebe Bridgers, who made what I think is one of the best albums of the year with this. I really do. Yep. I think it's awesome. And I think that um, given the length, just how purely how short the Boy Genius EP is, I think this, you could make a very strong argument. This is her, her best work, the best album she's been I, on. I agree. Because um, it has a lot of different, well, I, I, I guess Graceland 2, the song I'm thinking of, um, has a different flavor. It has some of that boy genius stuff coming in and a little bit of a country thing going on. But that's well, what I was. I just wanted to jump in on, on the Graceland 2 thing, which is fascinating because that was recorded during the boy genius sessions. And I guess what ended up happening is Phoebe came to those sessions. She had me and my dog. They ended up working on it. Me and my dog was going to be on this album. She decided to put it on the Boy Genius EP, but then took Graceland 2 for her album. Because um, I agree, like, that so much has the feel. That would fit perfectly on the back half of the Boy Genius EP. Um, so I like that they did that little flip there. But yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's spot on. I think, I think it's actually my favorite song on the record, probably because it's of... It's mine too. It's mine too. Mostly because of how much my appetite for stuff that sounds like country has expanded. Um, I don't know what happens when you turn 27, 28, at least in my experience. All of a sudden, I'm very open to like that kind of, those kinds of harmonies and those Definitely. kinds of lyrics. It's like, it, it's opened yep. up this world of like, oh, there is good country and it's awesome. Yep. Um, but my point about Phoebe Bridgers and, and the cycle, the, 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 the churn that the music industry goes through in crowning new icons and crowning new kings and queens of the industry or whatever, is that yep. I, do, I know what you mean because I now view it from a little bit of a remove. I'm able to enjoy the album in a way that's almost separate from the way I enjoy Phoebe Bridgers as a person. And those two things used to be inextricably linked for me. Yes. It was really important. Like I enjoyed the whole thing and I would kind of like, I still do it with bands that are from way before my time or from when I was a certain age, I still hold them up as this kind of like idol, but it has something to do with the fact yeah. like Phoebe Bridgers is two years younger than me. 
I feel like I could know her. I feel like I've met mm-hmm. people like her out at house shows or at like, you know, the Shasky yep. where they play, you know what I mean? Like, and I just feel like yep. she caught a few lucky breaks. She's an excellent songwriter and she plays the game yep. really well. And so here she is. And now what I'm more interested in as a narrative is how does she handle it? How does she handle it? Cause yeah. not everyone does it well for forever. I know. Like, is she going to be around for years? Is she going to be one of these career musicians who, much like Bob Dylan, who we'll get to in a little bit, and I'm not, I'm not saying they're on the same level by any stretch, but is she still going to be putting out records in 30 years? And is she still going to be talked about in this way of like, yeah, she was a real kind of like voice. Um, I find that more interesting. I, I agree with you. And to put it in perspective, for her to string, string together a career like Bob Dylan's, we're talking about her releasing albums in the year, like basically 2059. Right. Like, think about that. Right. How crazy it is. That's, uh, we'll see. <laughs> I guess. We'll, we'll yeah. see. But, but, um, the, I think the, the other thing too with this though, with sort of the, you can kind of see that cycle and that churn. You can also really see the influences and the, the sounds she is borrowing she really wears that stuff on her sleeve and, and she's, she's not shy about that either. She, she has admitted, she's like, yeah, I just, you know, I love Elliot Smith. Like I'm going, I'm doing an Elliot Smith thing, or I like this sound that this band did, or I like this set of like lyrics or something. Or like I read this thing, it made me like, she's borrowing and taking influences, but that's always been done over the years. And I think as we, you, like you said, you start to see that, that cycle you realize that a lot of this is just recycling certain sounds or repackaging certain sounds that were popular five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and just for a new generation. And that's what I mean. Like I'm enjoying it differently. We're like, this generation is getting their sad singer songwriter. And like, yeah, we're, we have a piece of that, but it's not quite 100% for us right now. It's for people probably young, like Phoebe's age and younger. Yeah, I think it's also just like, I'm able to enjoy the album. I'm able to love it. It also isn't, it's a different kind of love. It's not idolatry. It's not, I don't hold her up as this hero. I don't hold her up as, you know. like this was a very well done record. Yeah, like I'm looking at, I have a Bob Dylan poster on my wall. I see you're Bruce Springsteen. Like, you think of someone like, you know, any of those people from that era. It's like, that is, that's they're idols it's a different thing exactly and it's not to say that she isn't deserving of that or that she one day won't be that but there's something to be said about being in the era the era of 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 her and other songwriters her age and like basically being like i know this person like i i went to high school with kids like her you know what i mean like i I, you know what i mean like it's just a different vibe that that's what happens when i think and this podcast has been nothing if not the uh the representation of the toll that time takes on people and the way their yeah. their mindsets subtly shift even in a couple of years um that and i i totally lost the thought i was going to say but basically I, I i do agree with you and i think yeah. the way we end up looking at an artist like Phoebe Bridgers is totally different, uh, even just a couple years later, uh, not necessarily as an icon and just a person. Um, I think you start to see a lot of famous people just as people, the older you get. True. Um, I, I, I was yeah, just go going to say that, uh, you know, a lot of what we've talked about has been like a meta textual analysis of the Phoebe yes. Bridgers yeah, experience. Yeah. I got to say. It can be tiresome. No, people, well, I, I think, think it's, I, I find that stuff interesting, but, 
but I do think that to give her props, I think this is an excellent album. It's definitely one of my favorites of the year. I think it's very, very consistent. The songwriting is really good. It, the way it's produced, I think, sounds really, really nice. Um, I just, I love it. It's easy to throw on. It's incredibly listenable. I, I, was, I kept going back to it. I was just like, yeah, like, I want to hear that again. And like, it's just easy. It's easy to have on. Um, there's great songs too. Like, I, I think the run that, that run at the end with ICU Graceland two, and I know the end, like those are, those are amazing songs. Um, and I think it's pretty strong at the beginning with, with garden song, Kyoto and Punisher too. So, uh, really, really strong album. And I agree. It, it, it is one of the best of the year, in in my opinion. Uh, it'll rank very highly for me by the time the end of the year. Uh, rolls around if we ever get there. Uh, Jake, speaking of people who are icons, though, uh, let's talk quickly about this Bob Dylan album, um, Rough and Rowdy Ways. So this is Dylan's first album since what? Like 2012, Tempest? Yep, Tempest, 2012, I think. Okay. Or his last of originals, uh, I think. Yes. Um, He has no business putting out albums this good, this late in his career. This is a fucking classic, dude. It's unbelievable. It's really, really good. And I will, I'll, I'll admit from the top here that I've listened only a handful of times because somehow, somehow or other, that's all, it's the, all, the only appetite I've had for it has been me too. to listen in, in smaller spurts. But every time I listen to it, it does blow me away. And it's crazy. It's in a way, Dylan is someone who he's this kind of eccentric, socially strange kind of person but when you think about what he's done and, and what he's contributed to the American songbook, Sean. <laughs> I love it's, it. It's an incredibly generous act. I mean, he just keeps on churning yes. stuff out. And like, lyrically, he's, he hasn't lost a step. It doesn't feel like to me. Um, no, that, certainly not. It's really interesting. It's well produced. It reminds me of like stuff I've heard from Time Out of Mind or from love and theft or that you know those kinds of eras of albums am i crazy or does his voice somehow sound better on this album than it did on some of those like maybe late 90s early 2000s ones from from what i remember he, like, quit smoking or like take care of his voice a little bit better because like this maybe it's just me getting used to it or not caring as much or not thinking it's gravelly or weird um it sounds better. It sounds more palatable to me than some of those other ones did. It feels like he has leaned in a little bit to the croon of it all. Like the, the degree to which he yes. can use his voice in sort of like, he uses it in this charismatic way throughout the album. It's like yes. a storyteller way of using it. That's a great way of putting it. He leans in in a very charismatic way to the growl and to the, the, the sort of the gravel. Play the Nat King Cole. Yeah. Play Lady Macbeth. <laughs> yeah, dude. Okay, let's talk about Murder Most Foul. I know we've talked about it before. Yeah, I, I've I've liked this song since it came out. It is it is undeniably absurd yeah. as a piece of music. But it's amazing. It's amazing. The idea I love when he starts referencing like the Eagles and stuff. Like, play that Don Henley. <laughs> Yeah. Glenn Fry. <laughs> it's like, what, dude? Like, what are you talking about? Like, is this about the assassination anymore? Like, what do you... I, I if, if Bob Dylan didn't name drop you in A Murder Most Foul, I don't think you're relevant. Like, because he named everyone. He did. I felt slighted, to be honest. I, I was like, where's I the listed podcast name drop? I know. 
because that's where he was going with it. My favorite on here, and it's the one. So I'm with you where I haven't been able to listen a ton, even though I can recognize this is like an exceptional work. And he really, the old guy still got it. You know, he hasn't really lost a step here. Um, he's continuing to put out quality. I haven't listened a ton, but the moments I like, I really, really like. Um, like those last three songs, Crossing the Rubicon, Key West, and Murder Most Foul. First of all, that's like 34 minutes of time right there. That's like longer than every Joyce Manor album put together in <laughs> those last three songs. Right. Like those are so fucking good though. And I think Key West might be my favorite. Like that, that's awesome. It's really, it's very beautiful. I have a theory about crossing the Rubicon. So he mentioned, okay. He mentions in crossing the Rubicon literally explicitly. He's like, the Rubicon is a river. Like he like says that. <laughs> well, I think, I think he wanted people to be like, no, I'm literally talking about crossing a river. I'm not making some like grand you know, like weird statement about the Rubicon. And here's here's my theory, is that have you heard the Bob Dylan song that is only on Greatest Hits Volume 2, Watching the River Flow? Yes. Watching the River Flow has that melody? Yes. Crossing the Rubicon has a very similar melody. And cross the Rubicon. It has like, you know what I mean? It's like this similar kind of, and it's that blues motif. And I was like, is this in some way, whether he notices it or not, It'd be more interesting if it was intentional, like a tie-in to watching the river flow. Um, I, I think that's an excellent connection to make. Something tells me that's just a Dylan head doing Dylan head stuff. True. Where you're like, oh yeah. Like, I think this guy is so, he doesn't, I don't even think he is, he, he, I, he is not connecting those things, Jake. Like he, I can't even imagine how his brain operates. <laughs> and it is not on a plane that you or I can access. True, true. Yeah, it, that's true. It probably would not make sense to maybe, us. Maybe I'm, I'm pumping him up too much, though. Maybe he's like, hey, I'm just a guy. And that's what he would don't say. idolize me. And, like, you know, we just talked about how Phoebe Bridgers is just a person. And, like, we've met people like her. Um, Bob would probably say the same thing. He'd be like, I like cars and I like, you know, motorcycles and Western movies. Like, that's the stuff he, like, always likes to talk about, I feel like. Did I get disconnected? Oh, well. Can you hear me now? Are we... Wait, wait for it. Are you there? Can you hear me now? I can Okay, I stopped my video. Did you stop yours? No. I think the audio is... did. I think the audio is okay. Seems like it'll keep working. I'll try to edit this out. We can just leave it in if you want, honestly. The, the, this will be content for the listeners. True. Well, I hope, I hope the recording still works. I think it should, I suppose. Yeah, it probably, it probably will. But, um, yeah, an icon, an icon, Bob Dylan. Should we move on to Neil Young? Let, yeah, let's do that. Um, so this new, new, new Neil Young album, Homegrown, came out. It's, it's a lost album from 1975, apparently, um, that 
was deemed to be too personal at the time because it was dealing with the estranged relationship he had with his wife. Um, It finally has seen the light of day and it's really good. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, I've been really enjoying it and I, I have to say songs like separate ways and try are that's just like classic Neil Young. That's as good as anything that's yep. on any of those seventies albums from his classic era. Absolutely. And then you get the kind of fun jams towards the back on a song like, uh, we don't smoke it no more. Yeah. Um, you get like, just kind of like a, a straight ahead folk romp, like love is a rose. And then Jake, the story song, Florida, where he has this crazy real retelling of a hang gliding accident in, in Florida that he witnessed um, where you can't really tell if it's real or not, or what's going on. And there's like this drone behind the story that he's telling that gripped me. Like almost nothing else I have ever heard has gripped me. The first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck is this? Me too. And I always listen to it, even though I know it's like, probably not essential listening, honestly, but I always listen to it because the way he tells the story and the kind of stoned Canadian way he talks is just interesting to listen to. I like, whereas like these gliders were all in the sky. Like the way he talks is cool. Everything, I know. And the, the way he sets the scenes, like everyone looks so nice and they're, they had good, nice pants and, 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 you know, drinking pops, pretty dresses it can't be a real story though, because I like I think it can't. I hope that didn't just record. It sounds like someone just entered the meeting. Oh, maybe that's me allowing me getting allowed back in. I don't know. Wait, three participants. Yeah, it's, it's probably fine. Oh yeah, it says there's oh, three there, of us now. Is there, oh, there's another Sean in here. That's weird. Let's I got it. it kicked out and came back in. Anyways, it, it, it's okay. Um, There's a possibility yeah. that some of this recording will be messed up. I mean, who knows? Yeah, that's true. We're just going to – hey, man, it's COVID. COVID we'll roll with it. in podcast. Yeah, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, it, I, I was kind of surprised at how good this was. I guess I shouldn't be because that's like the peak of Neil Young's powers at that time. When he had true. just put out – our favorite Neil Young record on the beach uh, before this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I really enjoy listening to it. And it put, it made me want to listen not only to this, but to some older Neil Young again, like I listened to everybody knows this is nowhere a good amount. I've been listening to on the beach, um, mm-hmm. really enjoying it. So yeah, it's, it's great to hear more Neil Young. I mean, it's just, it's like a found little treasure that we're lucky to have. I know. I know. It's a, it's a nice, pleasant surprise uh, in a dark, dark year. Let's hit on another couple quickly here, Jake. Yeah. Um, we had a, another album that I kind of went in with lower expectations on, but ended up really surprising me and being enjoyable. This new Heim album, Women in Music Part 3, little uh, wink and a nod to the bullshit questions that many female artists get asked. What's it like to be a woman in, in the music industry? Yeah. Um, I, so I do, I do like the title and I, you know, I didn't love that last album they put out way back in uh, 2017, something to tell you that felt very forgettable to me um, after really enjoying days are gone. 
which, you know, early 2010s, Jesus, 2013 for that album. But Women in Music Part 3, this is very solid stuff. I have to say, man, I think this album is excellent. I really do. I think it's really, really good and in a way that I was not expecting to feel about a, a Heim album because i was never i didn't even i don't even know if i listened to that second one and i thought the first one was fine i thought it was definitely kind of a hype album and there were there were some really good songs on it the wire comes to mind um at the time i really liked my song five but i listened back to it recently and it's like kind of comic not as good as you remember no it's it's kind of comically dubstep ish I, I felt that too when I was making my 2010s best of list. I was like, I, hey, I really like that one from the Heim album. And I listened back. I was like, ooh, ah, was, was that really that good? It's not. It's not even really that interesting a musical thought, to be honest, Like I, as I was listening back. But I think no. this album is like a, it's a very mature record the way it's produced their their instrumental choices with some of the horns and stuff like the, like the whatever horn that is that starts off Los Angeles. This just feels yep. like a real coming of age, kind of like maturity album to me. Like they really have hit their stride as songwriters. I was listening back today. Yes. I was loving it. I think it's going to be one of my favorites of the year, to be honest with you, by the time we get I, there. I, I know. I was thinking the same thing. And the other thought I had about this is it, it reminded me of the feeling of that last Vampire Weekend album yeah. for whatever reason. And then I realized, oh, wait, they collaborated on more than one song on that album, I think. And I would imagine that there was some influence that bled over into this one. A heavy Um, footprint. So yeah, it had a a Vampire Weekend-y feel. It does. And I think that I I had another thought that it feels like, in a similar way to Father of the Bride, actually, by Vampire Weekend, where I feel like Haim is attacking not the widest spectrum in the world, but a decent little spectrum of different genres and kind of, you know, sounds on this album. And I think it, it's done in a way that's more tasteful and uh, than certainly that 1975 album from earlier in the year. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. I, To me, they're, yes. they're attempting a similar type of thing, but this one does it so much more gracefully and without it seeming forced at all. To me. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, yeah, there, there's an interesting uh, think piece waiting to be written about, you know, borrowing different musical genres and how Heim has succeeded more than the 1975, but it'll never get written. Um, and we'll only allude to it now. So let's, let's move on, Jake, because I, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about this Father John Misty Benefit EP yeah. uh, called Anthem Plus Three. This is literally just a collection of covers that Josh Tillman put together um, to benefit. Um, I, I don't even know the charity he's benefiting this to, actually, because ban- basically the way this came out about is Bandcamp was doing um, a day where they gave 100% of profits to artists. And a lot of them chose this day to put out a new album or to really push uh, sales of their album so that they could donate some of the money. Yeah, um, and the, the Misty did this. The the organization, Nothing. the organization. If you wanted it, it's Care Action and Ground Game okay. LA. Okay, nice. Big shout to those. Um, so he puts these together. Two of two of these uh, covers are Leonard Cohen covers. Uh, Anthem, and then the last track, "One of Us Cannot Be Wrong." The the other one, "Trouble," is uh, by Yusuf Cat Stevens, and then "Fallen Rain." 
is by an artist I don't think I had ever heard of. Um, Link Ray. Link Ray, yeah. I hadn't either. So I don't think I had actually heard any of these songs. Neither had I. On their own before this. So in a way, Jake, this just felt like a normal new Father Joe and Misty little EP for me, which has been awesome. Yeah, it has been great. And I have to say, it's also interesting and kind of freeing in a strange way to be able to listen to just how like how great a voice Josh Tillman has and how good oh a singer God. he is on these songs that they're definitely very poetic. They definitely have a point of view and a perspective and you know, I think especially a song like Fallen Rain has like a real social bent to it, but they're yeah. not, they're not, they don't have that same biting and so self-aware right. kind of commentary that all the Father John Misty music is, has. And like, I, I love all that stuff, but I could see other people being weighed down by it. And it is sort of freeing to not have that baggage as part of it. Couldn't agree more. And something that we've always talked about with Father John Misty is, People discount how good of a voice he has, how fucking beautiful and crisp all of his arrangements are, how good his backing band is. Totally. And just his overall vibe, I think, gets lost in a lot of the headlines and the lyrics and things like that. But this dude just, his sound is so good. And he does such a good job with all of these where I need to go back and listen to them to just get a better understanding of like how how Father John mystified he made them. Yeah. These all sound like they could just be his songs. They do. And, and, and you get um, what, I, again, they're, like you said, they're really crisp performances, beautiful arrangements. I love the way he strains and pushes his voice on One of Us Cannot Be Wrong on the last track. Yes. It's really, yes. really cool. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I think a lot of the lyrics even are like lyrics that I feel like he would write or he would sing. They all felt very true to like who he is and what his world perspective is. And like, look, I mean, it, could he signal any harder by picking two Leonard Cohen songs? Like, no. Um, right. But like, it just, it works. And I, I would be interested in your thoughts on A, what is your favorite of these songs? Um, if you have one. And two, what do you think is actually, like, if you didn't know any of these were covers, which one is the most, like, Father John Misty? Or, or if this snuck its way onto, like, God's favorite customer or something, which one would you be like, yeah, I, I would have no idea that's even a cover? I, I have an answer for both of these. Yeah. My, that, so my, go ahead. I, yeah. And I'd be interested in yours, though. So my answer for favorite is harder, but my answer for the one that I think sounds the most like a Father John song is Trouble, the third track. I, I, I think I'm with you 100% on that. Mm -hmm. I, I could not agree more. I think, dude, even the chords sound like Ballad of the Dying Man. Dude, yes. Okay, that was going to be my exact point, is that it sounds a ton like Ballad of the Dying Man. It has like, I yes. think, very similar progression. The way yes. the guitar even sounds on it, like the way it's recorded, sounds similar. Um, yeah, totally, totally agree. I, I, I even, wondered whether that was where you were going with this question. Yes, absolutely. It's Trouble. I think they all do to an extent, but Trouble is like, wow. And I think even some of the lyrics where he's like, I drank your wine. Yes. It's like, oh, didn't you sing that lyric on like uh, Magic Mountain on Pure Comedy or right. something very similar to it? Like Farmer's Potion. So, 
Exactly. I drank farmer's potion. Um, so trouble, I would say is yes, the most followed John Misty. And to be honest with you, I think it just might be my favorite because of that. Not to take anything away from any of these other songs, because I think they're all very well done. Um, but trouble, I think on both counts is the one where I'm like, huh, like that one, that that's your, you know what you're doing here. That was my feeling too. Uh, in terms of favorite, it was actually very difficult to, for me to pick. And at different points while I was listening to all five tracks, I thought any of them could have been. Um, yeah. But I will say that um, Anthem is particularly beautiful lyrically, I would think. I uh, that, that's one that really, a, they all are though. It's a little more hopeful. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of reminded me of that idea at the end of Pure Comedy of in, in 20 years or so or whatever, where he's like, you know, and it, our, we're, we're at the table, our second drinks arrive or whatever, and it's wonderful to be alive. This that was a really place. positive. Yeah, in the piano players playing, this must be the place. And he's crooning his way through it. This felt very similar in that way. Um, where it's like what the the light comes through the cracks or whatever uh, or like that's how the light gets in um like everything has its cracks and that's where like the good stuff happens so i thought that was like a really positive message um yeah. that maybe doesn't always come across with uh father john misty songs i think as a general thought too that it's really interesting to me to hear him doing covers because everything i've read about josh tillman is that his upbringing was he was not really embedded in popular culture or pop music right his his understanding of music has i think progressed like as he's gotten older i think there's huge gaps in his understanding of music history and stuff and it has always been fascinating to me the way in which he is so effortlessly gifted with music mm. he's so just like he 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 seems so like has such an ease with the way he handles drumming and playing rhythm guitar yeah. and singing beautifully that it always almost feels secondary and you have to kind of like, yeah. you know what I mean? like, and so it's interesting to see him put out these covers because it reminds you like, Oh yeah, he has influences. There's stuff that he, he didn't just come out this perfectly formed singer songwriter, but it feels that way sometimes. That is so true. And I think the songs he picks here are very, they, they, these have to be songs that influence his writing style or like how he thinks about music because they lend themselves to his style so well. And again, there's two Leonard Cohen songs on here. Right. Um, so yeah, I think that's a great point though, of maybe not having these as reference points at a young age and he came to them in life later. So his perspective would be entirely different hearing these for the first time as an adult um and i wonder what that kind of does to what informs his music that, that's a really interesting point um also you know we're a father john misty podcast we yeah. are spending more time gushing over this collection of covers by father john misty than we did talking about heim or neil young combined uh which i think is hilarious and i wouldn't want it any other way uh, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, you just got to own what you are, and and we both exactly we're stands for Father John. There's not much. Exactly. I'm not defending it. I'm not saying it's right, but it's true. It's just <laughs> we know what we are at this point in our old age. We're so wise. Um, exactly. Last one, Jake. Last one. Uh, cloud nothing. They also 
put out a new album as part of the Bandcamp sort of benefit. Um, I believe this one is coming out later on all platforms, but it was released early on Bandcamp. It's called The Black Hole Understands. I literally had no idea this was coming until I happened to see a list of prominent Bandcamp releases on Friday. And I was like, oh, wow, like I had no idea I need to scoop this up. Um, this was written in quarantine, Jake, yeah. uh, remotely. I think Dylan Baldy was in Ohio or Cleveland or wherever he is, and other members of the band were other places. So they were just sharing files back and forth. And I guess they said it didn't allow them to do some of the improv or jams that they would normally find themselves doing um, to really mm -hmm. shape some of the other songs. And I think that's fascinating because listening to this, that totally makes sense. It's almost like this world weary throwback. It's like a 2020 version of um, the early, early cloud nothing stuff, which was yeah. a little more like poppy, a little more like almost surf rocky in a way. Um, yeah. it, it's a little more straightforward, but also with sort of like this world weariness that I think they've developed over the years. So it's this nice blending of styles. I've actually been going back to this quite a bit. Um, I really like it. I think a song like The Sound of Everyone uh, with the chorus of Life Won't Always Be This Way is pretty yeah. spot on. Um, I yeah. think this feels like it was written in this moment. And that's kind of what I like about it. It's kind of what I've wanted from it. I have to say, I really like this album. This is a good little project. And yeah. I really, I've been going back to it too. I've listened probably... I mean, I only learned it came out literally two days ago. I've listened probably four or five right. times, three, four times, something like that. Um, yeah. It's really good. It's a, it's a breezy listen. It's, it's brief. And they are, like you said, they're more concise musical thoughts. They're briefer songs. Um, but they're really interesting. And it is this kind of crisp kind of poppiness going on. And I think, you know, which is really good through it's, – it, it fits them well as sort of older – more mature songwriters, especially for yeah. Dylan Baldy. And I, I actually even had the thought that some of the songs on here reminded me of like, kind of like 90s alternative pop, like Third Eye Blind mm. and stuff like that. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like some of the vocalizations in, the, in the, the, the melody first way in which these songs operate. Like, I've been really enjoying it. I have too. And I was just looking through their discography right now. The run that this band has been on they put out nothing but very good to great records. I totally for agree. Decade, for over a decade now. And it's pretty unbelievable when you look back through, you're like, oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. Even that last one, Last Building Burning, that I think at first we were like, ooh, yeah, like it's good, but I don't know. I had a nice little run with that one too. And there's yeah. some bangers on there. So Dylan Baldy, big shout to you. Uh, this new record's great. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, one more really, really, really quick, Jake. This new Arca album. I gave it a listen. Um, it's it's good. I, Rosalia has a feature on here. Bjork is featured on here. It's a it's it's probably the most um, digestible Arca has ever been, and the most like I've enjoyed Arca. To be quite honest with you, yeah. usually it's too much for me, and I. I I stay away, but I've enjoyed this album and I, I would recommend giving it a listen. I think you'd like it. Yeah, I, I'll have to give it a listen. It's one I, I've missed so far, but I've liked past Arca projects before. So yeah, yeah no, it's good to know. Nice. Um, 
before we hit release radar, let's both quickly do a recommendation of the week. Um, I had texted you about this, I think last week, Jake. I, on a whim, put on Band of Gypsies by Jimi Hendrix, which I had somehow never listened to. And if you know me, Jake, which you do, you know I like Jimi Hendrix, but I've never really been all in. I yep. think Are You Experienced? Acts as Bold as Love and Electric Ladyland are all, all good, maybe a little overrated historically, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking anything away from his guitar prowess or the innovation that he did, but it was just never quite what I wanted from him. Yep. So I went into Band of Gypsies being like, hey, maybe this will just be like a cool jammy live album. And that's exactly what it was. So I ended up having a nice little run with this last week where... Um, not only did I listen, but I actually went back and did a little bit of research on it, which is something I don't always do anymore, um, but it's something that we did when we were teenagers a lot. Like We really cared about the stories behind it and how these records got made. I don't always do that with old records I go back to anymore. I, I just sometimes listen and to leave the story you know, there unless I'm really interested. But I checked this out, and I, I guess Jimmy was getting frustrated with the sound of the experience and wanted yeah. to play with new musicians. So he, he kind of reconnected with these old friends he used to play with when he was younger. And it was much more of just kind of a simple R&B blues sound with some funk elements thrown in. And I think even though the recording quality of this live performance is hit or miss sometimes, that the space these new players allow him really makes the guitar playing shine. And, and I've never been more blown away or impressed or enjoyed a Jimi Hendrix release or his guitar playing more than I have on Band of Gypsies. And, you know, may, I, I think a lot of people would say, oh, you're late to the game on this, or like there's much better Band of Gypsies bootlegs or, or live performances than, than this release. But it, for someone who had never heard it before and, and wanted to see another side of Jimi Hendrix that I hadn't, I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I've never been more impressed with his guitar play. I feel like I get it in terms of like what he could do with a guitar. And I guess he was literally inventing new ways to like coax sound out of a guitar with these performances. Like he had yeah. these new pedals and fuzz boxes and things that he was combining that he was using for the first time here. Like people were hearing these performances and never hearing a guitar make these sounds before. And this is the first time that I think that really struck a chord with me and really hit home. And yeah. Jimmy also mentioned that he took a lot of influence from guys like John Coltrane and Miles Davis. And he wanted his music to go more into this improvisational um, kind of just like his, his rhythm section holding down a groove and then him just popping off over it. And yeah. I guess they developed this way of like, these these like scales or kind of ladders that they would play against and he would just riff off of them um I, it was a fascinating kind of like mini deep dive i had with this but i couldn't recommend it more i i was super pleased to hear you say this because i i knew you were always a little colder on hendrix and uh it, 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 honestly this is now i've only listened to a handful of times and i i'm gonna keep going back to it now that that you've gotten so into it because it's really exciting to me, for me to hear that. And I, I totally agree. It's the, the thing about Hendrix is that 
I mean, I, I love those albums from the experience, particularly Are You Experienced and Electric Ladyland. Um, mm-hmm. Especially Electric Ladyland at this point. That's my favorite release. But yeah, um, yeah I think it's, it's so interesting. And his career was cut so cruelly short. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to think about the new territories he would have been able to explore once he no longer had to cater to the pop sensibilities of the, of the day. Yeah. Um, that's is, a great point and uh, you know he he put this album out to get out of his record contract he's like all right i owe you guys one more album i'll cut a live album real quick on new year's eve 1970 and or 1969 into 70 and there's a sick sort of like dark gallows not humor but like th- this um sort of dramatic irony that i know 1970 will be the last year he is alive and yeah he, is playing this show on new year's eve that year like that that's weird yeah Um, so i think there's like this weird undercurrent of like he's very close to the end of his life and he has no idea and he's like at his peak of popularity here in a way um so yeah and it's right before or right after he played at woodstock and it's it's really interesting it's like nirvana unplugged in that way before you get to your recommendation, I, I one more thought on this is you mentioned earlier, there's something about getting a little bit older and just being more drawn to like a country sound, which I agree with. And that has happened to me in my own way. There's also something about live albums and jam bandy albums yeah. that I, has been appealing to me a lot more. Like I've dabbled with some Grateful Dead Mm-hmm. I am much more open to just like these Hendrix solos for 10 minutes. Like I I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, I don't know what it is, but I have Hell a yeah. more patience for those things now. Yep. That's, I mean, sometimes you don't need the immediacy of a pop song. Yeah. You know, you just don't always need that. You need, you need something that can breathe a little more, a little more space. I like it. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so my recommendation of the week is it's sort of a strange one. It, it actually relates back to Hendrix and to you mentioning Hendrix. Cause when you did, I remembered that there was this cool interview he gave on the Dick Cavett show from the seventies. So this was probably 1970 when he gave the interview it had to have been. Um, and it sent me down this little rabbit hole of watching old Dick Cavett interviews. He is fascinating from a couple perspectives. One you think late night shows now and you think of the constant interruptions from the audience laughing at every single cue that's given or the breakneck pace at which they cut to commercials and and the superficial nature of, of late night show interviews today. Dick Cavett's not really like that. The, The form of late night shows is really finding its shape in the seventies. And Dick Cavett is this interesting kind of really thoughtful, really smart and educated guy who's very interested in all these different cultural icons. And there's a lot of really interesting interviews on YouTube of him interviewing George Harrison, John Lennon, John Cleese from Monty Python, Marlon Brando, Orson Welles, like an old Orson Welles. And I've been going, and and Jimi Hendrix is another one. Miles Davis is another one I found. They're fascinating. They kind of they, they sound like almost like podcasts of now because the conversation is a little uh-huh. bit, not quite as, it doesn't have the luxury of quite as much time as a podcast, right. but it's a little bit more patient in its pacing. He asks a question and he allows huh. 
the guest a good chunk of time to really answer in a thoughtful way and to get lost on little tangents and tell stories. Dude, Orson Welles, I was watching one with Orson Welles where he's talking about how he met all these world leaders as a young guy. I think his parents had political connections. He met Hitler. He met, uh, Whoa. he met FDR. Um, it was fascinating stuff. And it's, it's really cool to, to see that. And so I guess I would just say that if you're interested in that kind of a thing, and if both as a historical artifact and as like a way to hear these kind of interesting, lengthier interviews with these like icons who have been dead for years now. It's an interesting way to approach it. That's really cool. So what you're telling me is he was like the Zane Lowe of his time, except maybe worse. <laughs> That's what I took away from that. He, he, yeah, I think if you start watching him, you'll see how much he's like Zane Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> but worse. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I, you know, something I respect about you and, and others, actually, that I, for whatever reason, do not ever, ever do, is go down, like, YouTube rabbit holes. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I, it is not an area I ever seek out or feel comfortable with. I think what it is, it's the lack of structure in like the quality yep. or like there's just too much variance that it overwhelms me. And I'm like, I'm just not going to interact with that because I don't know what I'm going to get one video to the next. I don't know if it's going to be worth my time. I yeah. think some people are excited by that discovery. I am overwhelmed by it. And I would rather, I, I, I like hearing about this stuff more than I like seeking it out. That's very, very fair. And it's also, it's not documented in a way that's consistent across the board on YouTube. Like, I know what you mean in terms of quality or even the way that they are like, you could have the same video of like slightly different lengths that cover yeah. almost the same interview, but not quite. Yeah, I agree. But I will say that if you haven't seen the John Lennon, Dick Cavett interviews or the George Harrison, Dick Cavett interview, they're very, very interesting. Like as a Beatles fan and looking back, I, at them, I have seen the Lennon one. I don't know if I've seen the George Harrison one. The George Harrison one is great. It's, it's George, post all things must pass just barely and he has like the very very long hair and the super long beard um it's just it's cool like he he's this really patient kind of quiet guy who's like thoughtful and like gives time to answering the questions and like really tries and i don't know it's just, it's interesting to see for me so but yeah i appreciate do that. you do you think it's a situation where almost like pete holmes or Marin or one of these like you know, real, like, you know, you're going to get interviewed podcast. Do you, do you think it was a situation where like, Oh shit, I'm going on the Dick Cavett show. Like I better come correct with my stories or like be ready to, to like really answer here. Maybe because I, I, I don't, and I don't have a great sense of the history behind his show or anything, but the, the sense I get is that Dick Cavett had this reputation as being like slightly counterculture like not in a way that was not in a heavy way because he he comes across as totally straight and like he has this real voice for radio type of like right and and really like measured delivery but he has this appreciation for an almost subversive support of the counterculture in the people he brings on and the platform he gives them which is also interesting yeah um so yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's been an interesting deep dive to take, and I've I've seen some of the videos before, but I've been doing more of it. It's astounding how many people he talked to who are like it, they seem yeah. so unattainable now. You know what I mean? Like, 
Um, yeah. In, in 2020. Wow. So, yeah. Very cool. Uh, let's wrap up this episode, Jake, with Release Radar. Um, it's an interesting collection this week. The first one that I am most excited about is this new Juliana Barwick album called yeah. Healing is a Miracle. She actually had a, a little piece written about her in the New York Times uh, today that I read, um, kind of hyping up this album. And like, I guess she moved from Brooklyn. Uh, she had like, it was a relationship that, that fell apart and she moved out to Los Angeles and kind of, you know, it's that classic story. I moved out West to Los Angeles to kind of like, find myself and like reinvent myself and and i think that's where the healing is a miracle name comes from uh but i'm really excited for that juliana barwick is is one of my favorite uh artists to be honest every album she puts out is uh, amazing um so i'm very excited about that we also have the bets with jump rope gazers i don't know if you listened to their album it came out i think it's 2018 maybe um it had jams on it It, dude it's part of that collection that like like these kind of buzzy, like power pop, not quite emo, but not quite punk bands that like, you know, with a female vocalist that you just are like, who are you again? And like, but then there, yeah, it's this album Future Me Hates Me. It came out in 2018. There's actually a few songs on it I really like. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, like, I, I don't know. It, it's on the radar. I don't know if I'll, I'll listen to it right away, but it's at least on the radar. Um <laughs> There's a, a, a posthumous Juice World album coming wow. out, Jake, uh, that's definitely not a cash grab called Legends Never Die. Hmm. Apparently they do because he died. Yeah. Um, so right, that P. is coming out. You, I, I'm going to, I'll at least check this out probably. Oh, I know. Why not? I had a, I had a little Juice World run after his death. You know, I was like, I shouldn't be laughing about this, but. There's been so much death, Jake. Uh, you know, what else can we do? Absolutely. And then You'll the, cry otherwise. The last one. Exactly. If, if you're not laughing, you're crying. The last one, uh, I guess this is big news to some people. Uh, My Morning Jacket is putting out uh, Waterfall 2, which I guess is a follow-up to Waterfall, which came out in, I think, way back in, what, 2015 was the last time this came out. So this album has been done, and I guess in the can for a while. They're finally putting it out. Um, You've listened to my morning jacket a, a little bit, right, Jake? I, I think you gave me a, a, one of their albums from way back that I still have. Yeah, I I really like the album Z, but it's the only one I really That's ever took one. took the time to get into. Um, I also bought when it came out the album Circuital. I think it's called. That's right. Oh, Circuital. Yeah. Um, and I never really dove into it that much. I didn't, I did, it was a weird okay. instance where I bought it and then just didn't listen to it very much. But, uh, yeah, Z is really good. And it's kind of, I think it's like their sort of like de facto classic. Yeah. That's always what I've heard. And I listened to it. I, I did enjoy that too. I don't know. I guess I'll wait and see what people are saying about it. If they're like, oh no, like this is, this is really good. I, I guess I'll check it out. But I don't know. I, I haven't really kept up with them. So it, it's on the radar, but again, I, I might not get around to it right away. Totally. Yeah. Same here. I'm not positive if I'm going to listen. Yeah. We'll see. Um, I'm much more comfortable now with just being like, you know, am I feeling that right now? If not, I'll go listen to Band of Gypsies, you know? like Same here, man. Like that, I didn't even listen to the Drake album that came out this year. A few years ago, I, w- I would have listened to Ugh, the podcast. Dude. You really did not need to listen to that. 
I listened once and was like, okay, just to say I did, just to say like, yep, I, I kept listening to Drake. You um, haven't been back to it since yeah. then? God, no. No, dude, this, this Drake album, it, it's like demo tracks or, or like they're leftovers or something. It's not even like an official Dark Lane demo tapes. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. You know, May, May yeah. 1st, that came out. How long ago does May 1st feel right now? The, uh, yeah it's a different it's crazy it, it's it's nuts how yeah. it really does yeah what what a year uh well <laughs> another episode in the books we are getting close to our 200th jake i mean like honestly at this rate it'll take us like a little bit longer to get there but episode 177 that's no joke we're moving right along it's it's been a great run and i mean we will definitely get to 200 one way or another i don't see why we won't we will oh we absolutely will he said tempting fate i'm dead of covid two weeks (laughs) jesus we pray that's not true (laughs) exactly exactly uh all right listeners thanks for sticking with us stay safe stay healthy we'll see you next time thanks everybody Recording. We're on the mics. Back on the mics. Back on the mics. Despite the odds, Jake. Despite right. the virus. Despite the dystopia. We persist. Never, nevertheless, they persisted. No, okay. Before I want to hear about Hamilton because I didn't watch Hamilton and haven't, yep. and I don't know how I feel about Hamilton to be quite honest with you. Interesting. Okay. What? Who is being referenced with the nevertheless she persisted? Is it Elizabeth Warren? Or well, they, who, who's that talking I about? I think that's an old, old timey quote, like an old time. That's but, like, but, it, but it popped back up like recently. I, and I thought it was about, oh, it's Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Like, I think she used it for a campaign, but I don't think she's the originator of the phrase. Oh, that's, well. Okay, so I could be wrong. Mitch McConnell was talking about Elizabeth Warren when he was like, she was warned, she was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted, and oh. it was like actually a bad thing that got like flipped around um, because she was going to read a letter by Coretta Scott King, but Jeff Sessions. Uh, wait, what? Like anyone who frequently chooses Twitter over sleep. Yeah, okay. Uh, I was online. Okay, yeah, it was it was Mitch McConnell. Oh, I always assumed because he was... didn't want he didn't want her to read this letter. Hmm. I always assumed it was like a like some kind of older feminist slogan, but I I I, I guess I was incorrect. Little did I know. There we go. We learned something. So what were you, so is it did you have another thing for the pre-show, or should I go into the Hamilton? Thing? No, no. That are we, I, are, we, actually, are we doing the Hamilton thing? We we doing the Hamilton thing? Because if we're gonna um, do it, let's just do it now. Let's get you know, let's get it all know, out seeing, now. I, I'm seeing a lot of people online doing the the, the Hamilton is canceled thing. And you um, know, and, and you know, and you know, with with this with this Hamilton thing, uh, you know, I read one article and it says that it's great, and then I read another article 
that would have you believing it's the worst thing ever to grace the stage. So like, I, you know, I don't know what to think really, Bill. I, 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 yeah, I, I saw it, you know, and, uh, my son loves I, it. My kid, my kids loved it. They love the song. My wife saw it six times. <laughs> On Broadway. I have money. I have money. I have money. I have less money. <laughs> but I still have money. And uh, I will let you know because I reference my fishing trips in Montana. Yeah, I live in a beach community in LA. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> I I watched Hamilton. Um, I, I, we, Mary Kate and I watched it twice. Um, I I think it's really good. I, so I didn't know there was anti-Hamilton sentiment necessarily. Well, okay, there's anti-Hamilton sentiment in the way that literally every single thing in the world gets turned into a political uh, battle on Twitter. Okay. So you have the people who are like, like, I don't know how I want to describe it. It's like an overlap of woke socialist Twitter with like, um, like other woke versions of Twitter all, all put together. Okay. Like if you like Hamilton, like you're a Joe Biden liberal and like you, nope. you, you like, you suck basically. Um, I'm, just I'm such... butchering. Cause like, I don't, I'm just like, I don't care. Like if you like Hamilton, you like Hamilton. If you don't like, you don't, you don't have to turn this into like, it's uh, thing about liberalism in 2020 and like how it's problematic and actually it's holding people back and Hamilton's not having the right conversations about minorities and it's not having the right conversations about, and it's, you know, it's still whitewashing thing. I, this and it's, is just what I've read. Right. I, I don't agree or I don't even partake in this. I'm just saying like there's discourse out there and there's a lot of it. Yeah. Or that it is celebrate celebrating, colonizers people who own slaves yeah exactly um look the way the way i perceived it i watched it twice i think it's excellent i think it's really really good and i you know i i'm not going to defend i think that the the issue of celebrating someone like george washington or thomas jefferson or anyone who owned a slave or who was a white colonizer runs a whole lot deeper than this play and you know, this musical, it runs deeper <laughs> yeah. in our culture than that. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Like that's not, that is a great point that I think people on Twitter forget where it's like, this isn't meant to speak for atrocities committed by these people 300 years ago. That's not what this is. That's not what it's setting out to do. So to judge it on those merits it, it is wrong. You know, doesn't, really make a ton of sense to me honestly i mean I, I see some of that i can kind of some of that's valid i suppose but it's also like um it's also i think a, a work of real kind of like of genius in a way where it's like he lin-manuel miranda took what is a pretty dry subject something that would not interest a lot of people i don't think and turned it into this phenomenon like and has to yeah. structure oh, it's, it's a great success Story. I, like, I love that Hamilton became this phenomenon. Like, I think that's cool. I don't know, because like, people don't care about plays as much anymore, or musicals, really, and it's become this massive thing. Like, I think that's cool. Yeah, and it's enjoying this like second huge wave of success now that it's streaming. Right. That it's more populous, and I've enjoyed the fact that it has been shared with the masses in that way, and not just people who can afford to go to a Broadway play. And I think, I, I agree, 
and I think some of the best intentioned kind of hot takes on Hamilton have meant to be like, when Hamilton came out at first and was very, very popular, we were at a very different time in our country where like celebrating something like this felt like a win or felt like of the right step in a, in a direction. And now is it like, how does that play in, in this moment we're in? And like, is Hamilton the thing that like we need right now? All of those arguments are flawed though, because again, why does Hamilton have to speak to the moment? Why can't it just be a thing? Is it because it deals with race? Is it because it deals with history? Is it because it deals with America's flawed and largely kind of yada yada history around how we've treated minorities? I think that's a good argument to make, but also it's, I don't know, to expect Hamilton to be, be the be all end all of like, this is how we're going to talk about race now in 2020. It's flawed. Yeah, it, well, it is. And it's also like, it's an artistic expression. It's a musical. It's a story. They're telling a story. It's, it's not really overtly political. It's not. It's, right. a, it's a pretty faithful retelling of the history part, of, of literally the history of, of these people. And it's, it's two hours and 45 minutes long. It's not a 1,000 page biography or, right. or history. So it's as thorough as it can be. And like, yeah, okay, they, they, they don't, George Washington, slavery's not brought up, but it's brought up a lot with Jefferson in the play. Um, a lot. Yeah. And, or, or a Didn't few, he like times. impregnate his slave? Yeah. Though? One of them. And like rape her? Yeah. Because like, tech, even if it was, you know, quote unquote consensual, like there's no consent there when you own another person. Yeah. Well, but it's, it's like the play is, Hamilton is not, promoting <laughs> that behavior and it and it like no, of course of course openly acknowledges the hypocrisy of jefferson jeffersonian economics yeah um <laughs> yeah but i don't know man like to me it was it's super interesting and the story of alexander hamilton is certainly one i would not know as well right. if i hadn't right. seen it and like yeah, it's a little, it's celebratory. And I can see the argument that in some ways it's colorblind in an old school liberal way, but also, yeah, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda, as far as I know, I think he's, he's like a Latino American. So like, it seems like he's Hispanic. Yeah, I think he, I think, he um, I think he's from Puerto, Puerto Rico. Yeah. And I think. You know, he's a guy who was inspired by this story, probably saw some of himself in it and mm-hmm. wanted to make this musical about the story and he cast the best people he could find for each role, given the kinds of music in the play and stuff. And like, I think it's really good. I think the songs are really excellent and the way it weaves Mm -hmm. story and entertainment and, um, and the music is really impressive. And, uh, you know, I liked it definitely more than I expected. Uh, not having seen it. I wonder how many of the people writing negative tweets, or pieces online about it are just like, ah, I don't feel like seeing it. So I'm going to just tear it down to maybe justify me not seeing it a little bit more. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, the, there's also people who I think like, this, it's just, I mean, this is something I've observed. I think there's a big time stigma around musicals as far as it, as, as it relates to masculinity. It's something that I struggled Definitely. with for many, many years mm-hmm. with musicals mm-hmm. was just like, if you 
that I just feel like that was ingrained in us as young guys, like musicals were yeah. considered quote unquote gay or whatever. I mean, that's just, that's the way right. it was written about. And it, again, I'm not saying I have a problem with that. I'm saying that it right. was used in a pejorative sense. I felt for a lot. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right? What an old school <laughs> '90s style. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's labyrinthine. The the amount of things you could like potentially get in trouble. Oh yeah. For. You know, I, I well, it's and you know what's interesting. I, I'm not about to be like cancel culture is ruining America. Like I'm not. I don't think that's true. I think we, we have bigger problems than cancel culture. Like, uh, yeah, and like, and like if you've done something shitty, like yeah, I don't want you like just being accepted as like a cool person in society. Right. Um, I do think though, with some of these weirder left-leaning Twitter arguments where people are actually like arguing on the same side of things like there's too much of that like the policing and politicking of like the way you wrote a tweet or the way you phrased a tweet or like if you like Hamilton it means this it's like I that's very tiresome and unnecessary and the last thing that I want to be turned into is somebody who's like well it's history it's just interesting and it's too bad that like right the debate becomes so entrenched that it turns into like if you're if you're like enjoying a piece of art or pop culture or something that relates to that history it does feel like on some level if the arguments you're referencing are in fact true that it's like you're not that there's people who think like well you can't enjoy that because it comes from a problematic place it's like well i'm not enjoying it for the problems i'm enjoying it because this is an incredible work of art about a story that is right. incredible despite the fact that yeah not everything was perfect in 1776 life sucked for a lot of people i know that yes right there's nothing i can do about it right now in me watching or not watching this thing isn't gonna fucking change that Right. Well, it's like we could popularize it. Anyways, my whole point was just going to be about Hamilton was just that it's really good. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> this, is, this is what people on Twitter and online are like, oh, like Hamilton's bad now? What? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, just like, yes, I'm glad. Everyone who has seen it is like, yeah, I really like it. It's worth watching, dude. It's worth watching. The songs are really good. I've been singing them. It's like I'm like George with Les Miserables singing Master of the House all around the apartment. <laughs> Master of the House. That's amazing. I'm, I'm like um, rapping as Aaron Burr and Hercules Mulligan around the apartment. You know, like it's fucking fun. <laughs> fucking soon. That's, I, exactly. I, I, I love it. Um, I have two very, very quick things. A random thought I had the other day. Has anything in the year 2020 aged worse on a TV show than I think it's season two of Parks and Rec. Louis C.K. is a guest star. He is Leslie Nope's cop boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) And like him being a cop is a big like part of who he is and like the story arc. I was thinking about that. I was like, just the image of fucking Louis C.K. in his cop uniform with his like sad sack face is so (laughs) funny in hindsight, actually. (laughs) To be like you have like you have no idea. And I've started rewatching uh, like just a few episodes while I eat dinner and stuff, just having it on the background. Cause I flew, I watched the office again. I, I turned through that while I, I just want to comfort while, you know, during these. Did you watch times. all of it, including so the later seasons? I got to like a few episodes into season six and stopped. I was like, this sucks. I can't do this anymore. I watched up till the wedding. And yeah. then I was like, all right. Like, cause the so- next one dude is like mafia. 
where they think the guy's in the mafia and they go out to eat. Like, there's there's parts of that one that are funny in a different kind of show way. Right, and it is a different show at that point. Yeah, so I, I sometimes it started making by me Michael more. Yeah, it started making me more sad than anything. Yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, I got to switch gears, and um, I, we I, I put it on. We've been watching, and that show is such like a celebration of like we're in 2012 obama just got reelected. like everything's great nothing's wrong ever like it's so that show yeah that it's it, it, it's a it's a totally different world now and i think louis in a, in a police uniform Classic. with everything we know now is just it, that is aged terribly the, it is it the perfect storm of of bad of 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 problematic iconography it's 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 bad and the last thought i had was i I, i'm drinking um seltzer right now and we found these like little like kid-sized seltzers yeah and so this is made by polar the flavor is called pixie lights um i'm realizing though this is genius though this is replacing like the Capri Sun or the juice box or these sugary drinks that were put, dude, I drank high C fucking all the time. That is basically soda you, without ever, the carbonation. Do you ever have one of those or a kind of drink like that now? Like on, just by chance you have one and realize how sugary it is and how it's like basically dude. unpalatable at this point. But I think the last time I really went down that path with any of those drinks, was like the the pink lemon the high C pink lemonade yeah when we worked at Cinemagic and how much of that I I drank that shit like water when I was there me too and like I look back on that now and I'm just like oh my god dude and dude at the time I was like well it's not coke like it's better than that it's like no it's not it's actually it's not the same yeah. fucking thing it's like dude when's um, the last time you tried Sunny D have you ever had Sunny D Oh, uh, I actually I I love Sunny D, but it's me too. It's insanely sugary, dude. It's like I can barely stomach it anymore. It's such a it's yeah. like almost a gross taste now. The, I know it is weird. It's like it's it, it sounds like a joke. Like we're like trying to be like, oh, I don't yeah, like a parody of getting older I, and more mature. I, dude, I know. But it's true. I know. It's like it's I like changed, it's a little more diffuse. I like you know like lightly sugary drinks now. Yes, exactly. That's that's such a cliche. It's the truth. It is a cliche. It's true. But it's the truth. It's like I want. You know what I want is an honest tea, iced tea. That's like, dude. My thing is like I want just a a a a just iced tea where it's just the green tea, but it's also justly sourced, Jake. That's my favorite. The one that doesn't even have the green tea that doesn't have any sugar. I'm like, Uh, it's clean enough. I still sometimes like a little sugar. I like that one too. I like I like the the honest tea. The what is it? I have some in the fridge right now. The honey green tea or whatever. Like that's excellent. Once in a while, when we get takeout from Chipotle, once in a while, I will get one of their Mexican cokes. Me too. In a glass bottle. Me fucking too. I did that over my vacation. I got that dude. That was like my big vacation thing. I was like. Ooh, I'm getting Chipotle tonight, and I'm getting a Mexican Coke, and like that was like that that what that's what passes for a luxurious vacation in 2020 for just like 
a, a dude, you know. Did you pour it over some ice? I like to do that. I like to pour it. No, out. I drank it out of the bottle. That's good too. It, I I do a little bit. Like I was, um, like in a movie where glass cokes were like just the norm, you know. Dude, speaking of. This is worthwhile for, I mean, it's not worthwhile, but it, I thought it was interesting. You can find on Amazon Prime, they have this like hour and a half long kind of like reel of old timey drive-in movie theater ads. Oh my God. It's a surprisingly interesting watch. I've watched like half of it. I just had it on in the background while I was eating one night. And yeah. they're, they're ridiculous. Like, dude, I had this realization there's one where they're advertising corn dogs and the way they're talking about them is like they were just fucking invented. And I was like, that's weird. And it's like, oh no, it's because they were. They're like a new thing back oh, then. That's the thing because so many commercials are just about introducing the new whatever. Like that still kind of happens. Like new no. products are always being marketed to us. So that's funny where it's like, oh, that's been around forever now actually. And in the 50s and 60s, it's always this guy. He always talks like this. Try a fresh, cold Coca-Cola and some of our delicious popcorn. It's like that dude. And it's, like, yes. it's like satisfying to see that old school advertisement because it does feel more innocent, especially Tower. I worked, know. Like meme and like the, the dude, the, yep. what the internet has done to our brain. Oh my God. I was, I was just talking to Kara about this the other day. I was like, the, the way it makes me process thought now is like a blitz of thought flashes all at once and i process it all at once but they're like these disparate things like memes are crazy people like people have to think differently dude i i saw a meme the other day and it like it, it's changed our sense of humor and the way we think about stuff but it's like i saw this meme the other day it was literally the the image was a hot dog with its arms crossed like in a cool guy pose yeah a hot dog and the caption was, your parents are still together, bro? That's pretty cringe. And I laughed out loud at it. I was like, this, <laughs> I was like, this is really good. <laughs> Dude, I cannot emphasize enough how much that does not make any fucking sense. That is meaningless. But somehow it totally resonates. It, like, makes a ton of sense. Oh, that's the thing. It's like, it's, it's like this abstract thought exercise and we go through them we go through like a thousand of them in like two minutes because we're just scrolling yep. and our brains have gotten so good at this yeah abstract thought abstract thought abstract thought abstract thought and no wonder we're so fucking anxious all the time at all times and probably reading into what are just normal thoughts in weird ways well that's what like we we that has become though a super highway in our neural network it's like, yeah, of course we're going to, like, read into it this deep. Dude. We've been trained. I don't know. I, I think like I process information at a quicker rate now. It's not, like, at a, at a better quality rate. Nope. It's just quicker. Nope. It's definitely not better quality, but it's quicker. I was reading, so the New York Times, when you subscribe, you can, you, and you should try this sometime if you're interested. It's particularly interesting to me. I was looking at the Times machine, which is you can see – the paper from any day in history dating back to like 1850 or something like that. Wow. It's really cool. And I was looking at 2000 because I wanted to look, I wanted to scroll through the, oh. the each day after the election and see how long it took to sort that out and see what it kind of felt like in real time where yep. Gore and Bush were like in the hanging chads. 
Dude, it's yep. a month and a half. And in real time, it, must I know. Been, it felt like forever. But I saw this like editorial in one of those, uh, I don't know, it was like from 2000, early 2001, something like that. And it was like this article about how the World Wide Web, they were still using that phrase unironically, yep. has yep. become less a place where you can stumble upon random information and see cool things and more a, a place where people have a regiment and sites they go to where they, yes. where like you go to this site and then you go to this one. And it was like, this represents in some ways the decline of the democratization of information that we thought was going to happen. Yep. And it, it yep. represents the creeping in of corporations and companies who are now controlling us again through information. I was yep. like, this is actually a spot on take really that's, early. That's, uh, I can't believe that. That's very smart. Those editorials would be very interesting to go back and read and just see how off base some are because most probably are. But that's eerie how very. spot on that guy is. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. And, but you know what, though? Maybe even at that time, that was already a, a real conversation piece. Like, who knows? Especially, like, you know, from a New York Times editorial writer. Um, but that's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, that's actually, I, I might check that out. You can type in any date. You type in your birth date, whatever. It's pretty interesting. And if, wow. if you know me, you know that I looked at the days after 9-11. Because, of course, oh, I Oh, you're a sick, yeah, you're, you're a sick fuck. Of course you did. How was I not going to... <laughs> No, I thought I thought that's where the story was going initially. Nope, it wasn't, but now it is. <laughs> we got there. We on, got there anyway. The newspaper on nine twelve, the entire A section is just dedicated to it's just all about it. It's crazy to Man. see. And actually it's it's fascinating how much they had right already. They had on like probably the fourth page or whatever of the paper, they have this whole diagram, this graphic that shows like where the crash sites were on the towers and like Wow. A timeline of events. Like they had this shit all figured out. Well, if you think about it, you know, they, they, this wasn't like, oh, a rush job at, you know, 10 p.m. where this story breaks. Like, it happened at 8.30 a.m. In the morning. So it's like, I'm sure they're like, everyone, in, all hands on deck, we need to like cover this. And also, they're, uh, I mean, the internet had not yet diminished the power of, newspapers yet and like i'm sure they had everything had like at their disposal way bigger staff and like had they're probably at the peak of their powers yeah they know? were and like yeah. good point that's a testament to that that's it's really a good interesting point. yeah and it's interesting to read like from the perspective of the day of like you know they had a they had these human interest stories about the people who were walking across the brooklyn bridge to leave manhattan and they have like yeah. It's just kind of cool. But if, so wow. I, I ended up staying up until like 1 a.m. looking at like Time yep. Machine articles. Dude, oh the best God. one. I was telling Josh about this. I think you would you, you'd get a kick out of it. I looked, I looked up like the day after Kennedy was – not Kennedy. The day after Lincoln was shot, which is in there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the headline it, – it's, it's so different. The looking. paper of record. The, the headlines are just really – they're really small. And it's just they're written yeah. in a totally different way. And what it says – for for Lincoln is it says awful event exclamation point like that's like the the first headline <laughs> dude awful <laughs> event it's like people they needed that they needed their handheld like yeah. they needed to be oh 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 it's bad okay like i wonder when papers felt comfortable doing like puns in headlines to right. get information across where they didn't have to worry about that anymore. Like we don't have to be so explicit. Like people are gonna, like there's an artistry to this now. 
back then, that's just pure. We need to get this information across. Bad things happened. Exactly. You know? And what's interesting is that the conventions of news writing have changed so much that that would be in a weird roundabout way, even though it's inarguably true, considered editorializing. Because it's like... That's <laughs> so true, yeah. Really? What, yeah. What, it's just like the real awful? headline. Oh, well, oh, oh, it's awful? Yeah. It's not, it's not just bad? It, or, you know? Or the headline yeah. is just President Shot at Ford's Theater. Right. Dead. Like, yeah. That's a better headline, probably. Yeah. Really interesting shit, I thought. But very interesting. Anyway. Um you ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Alright. Here we go. Hold on. Get a quick sip. Okay. This seltzer kind of makes you like thirstier. That's how they get you. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Seltzer's weird. Yeah. That's like have you uh, really right, quick. That's like have you ever heard the, the conspiracy yeah. theory that like chapstick has like small fibers yeah. in it to cut your lips up more to keep you addicted to chapstick i have heard that and all i'll say is i don't use chapstick and i don't need chapstick that's fair so I, well during the winter sometimes i do i need it for one week but then my lips just figure it out it's like ah my lips are chapped this week but then it like figures itself out it's weird eh, interesting i don't know yeah okay here we go burping up the seltzer now classic three two one 